ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Level Up Grappling Podcast. I am your host, Ed, along with my co-host, Professor Brian. And uh, Level Up Grappling Podcast is the official podcast of the PCI Jiu-Jitsu School in Mission Viejo, California. And uh, welcome to the first episode. And, you know, we thought we'd get started really with just kind of introducing ourselves as to what we are planning on doing and what we are doing and what we're up to and what we want to be up to. So, Professor Brian, how are you today? I'm doing great. Oh, and let's get something out of the way. We definitely don't need to call me Professor. I don't know where uh, <laughs> that whole thing, you know, originated from. Probably a bunch of, uh, you know, guys from Brazil trying to be official or important or something. And they start telling everybody to call themselves professors. Uh, so, you know, whatever. It's a cute title and everything, but... Uh, you know, I, I think it's it can be a little bit uh, pompous and arrogant to kind of, you know, hold that over somebody's head. So to me, I'm a teacher and a coach and I'm a friend and I like to be partnering with the students and people that are trying to enhance their grappling. So I see myself more as a guide and a coach um, than, you know, some kind of stiff professor that wears a suit with, you know, glasses and a pipe and you know is boring i don't know that's my idea of a professor <laughs> whatever all right well of, as of episode one officially coach ryan then yeah that's cool <laughs> whatever. i mean if somebody ends up calling saying professor that's fine no big deal but you know like i said i think it's a little pompous and uh it's not my flow no offense to any professors yeah. out there yeah. <laughs> Whatever. If you want to be a professor, go be a professor. Just uh, show us your academic credentials that, uh, you know, you've completed uh, higher education and that you're what university you're teaching at. So, Well, in that case, I would appreciate if you would consider me Professor Kwok. Thank yeah, you very I will. much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the no. professor and the coach with Level Up. Yeah, Catholic. right. There, you go. <laughs> there we go. We're going to change the name of the podcast. Yeah. but. Anyway, to get started, yeah, um, Coach Brian, I'd love to introduce ourselves um, and really more or less uh, start with you because my, my journey in jiu-jitsu and really in martial arts is actually, in a sense, long but short, uh, especially specifically with jiu-jitsu. You know, I'm a, primarily I've been taekwondo my entire life for the past 20 some odd years and then going into instructor and then managing a school. Um, and then my jiu-jitsu came in when uh, really one of the parents of my Taekwondo students was training under um, Joe Marrera. And he started um, a what we at the time called OC Fight Club, where it was more MMA slash jiu-jitsu in that jiu-jitsu was taught, taught by then our coach, or I think he was going by Professor, <laughs> Professor Greg, and then... Um, a, a fighter, local fighter, um, Lam Fam, not to be confused with Nam Fam in the UFC. Even though they do know each other, they're friends. Um, coach Lam, my fight coach at the time, was working his way up through the Camo League, going into uh, becoming a professional. And I think he went as far as a couple fights in King of the Cage, but uh, that's kind of really where it ended there. Um, so with that, that led into just me exploring the world of Jiu-Jitsu a little bit more. Um, life-changing stuff throughout that process with some of the other students that I had trained with. And then I went to Korea to teach English for a year and um, needed something to do while I was there. And I found a 
small little jiu-jitsu school. I mean, literally with maybe 10 students at most, uh, if not less than that. But everybody was high school students. And, you know, we'll probably get into this later because, you know, I was being in Korea. I don't mean to bring up stereotypes, but I'm, I'm a pretty big guy for being a Korean. And so in a sense, I'm generally speaking taller than most and the average. And then I'm also pretty heavy set. So, um, yeah, it was it was that was fun and i say that was where i had my international jiu-jitsu debut i competed overseas uh got a silver medal there so that was fun and then everything kind of took a hiatus and uh, kind of a connection point with you was that when i got back uh, i was doing uh hapkido learning hapkido for a little while and my hapkido instructor started getting into brazilian jiu-jitsu um and so he um, he kind of got me back into doing that a little bit um, and then, you know, got married and all had kids and all that fun stuff and started, you know, getting the dad bod going for as trendy as that might be. We needed to, to lose some weight and stuff. And so when I started looking up a jiu-jitsu school, I ran across PCI Jiu-Jitsu and then, you know, submitted the form and you gave me a call. We had a great, I think it was like an hour long conversation really just about everything that you know, what you do, where you're coming from and all of that. And so here we are today with a, um, you know, I'm sitting here doing this podcast with you with my herniated disc in which you told me, forget about it, just keep rolling. And the doctor approved of that. And so <laughs> <laughs> we'll get that going. But that's my martial arts background. That's really where my history and especially my experience with jiu-jitsu comes from. And, you know, coming to PCI, there were a lot of new things that, you know, I've been learning and really that that's kind of been the journey for me and so that's enough about me i'd love to hear how really i mean i got glimpses of where you got started from but i love to hear your story about your background and your really your history of of jujitsu and grappling and really martial arts in general too yeah man thank you um so i'm a gen xer i grew up what i consider the the glory days you know late 70s 80s so man this was a magical time before the internet before social media where there was still mystery and beauty in the world and you could have your own ideas and fantasies in your head and run with it and i think there was more opportunity to develop yourself as an individual than you have today uh, but that's a whole nother topic altogether so <clears throat> back when i was a kid growing up in southern california san fernando valley specifically there was a show on the weekends called Kung Fu Theater that I used to watch when I was little, little. And so I always had this dream when I was like four or five years old. I would watch Kung Fu Theater, you know, and I'd watch Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris and all this. And I wanted, you know, the dragon style versus monkey style versus, you know, you know. <laughs> the horse attack and all this i thought like man that'd be so cool i thought oh i want to be a shaolin monk and carry buckets of water up a hill and then learn how to just beat the crap out of somebody in the middle of a village i always thought that was really cool so of course there is no monkey style kung fu in the middle of the valley especially in you know 1981 1982 whatever so i had to settle for karate and uh, so I started with that. I was always also really obsessed with judo because back then, you know, you had basically the styles of martial arts that you would break down what you would see. And this was really even if you think about it pre-cable TV or pre, 
you know, definitely pre-internet. But, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast don't even know probably what it was like to have just four or five channels on a dial. And, you know, you're lucky to afford a black and uh, a color TV, this big box color TV, and you turn an analog dial. So um, what you would see if you saw anything at all in the uh, Black Belt magazine, these magazines would be basically a striking style or a you know, some type of grappling style. The striking style would typically be some form of what they would call karate, right? Some Japanese striking art or Chinese kung fu. Or uh, some kind of grappling style, which was what you would see judo or wrestling. And so I was obsessed with judo. I always had a deep appreciation for traditional martial arts. I loved the concept of wearing a gi and a belt and bowing and doing a meditation and then doing katas and all this. I liked it. I always loved it. I did it for years. And I was obsessed with judo, so I got into that. And uh, I was also obsessed. I grew up in the glory days of pro wrestling, okay? So I was obsessed with professional wrestling. I grew I got to see Hulk Hogan live and Andre the Giant live and all these magnificent, larger-than-life characters and creatures, but... What was interesting about that is my dad always said, well, if you want to see real wrestling, you got to watch the old stuff, the Bruno San Martinos and Luthez and Ed Stringler, Lewis, all this stuff, which they were called back then hookers. So it was like shoot wrestling or hook wrestling. Hook. So you would do submission techniques. And so that's what we know today. We also know as catch wrestling, catch as catch can wrestling. And that's how actually we can get into it sometime on another podcast. The advent of professional wrestling as we know it today, like WWE, AEW, all these things came from catch as catch can wrestling. And it's very interesting stories how, how that evolved. So I went really from that into Hapkido. I definitely had a love for Hapkido because for me, Hapkido was a mix of striking, throwing, and grappling, and joint locks. I actually learned my first arm bar and wrist locks from Hapkido, not from jiu-jitsu. You know, so there were things that I learned that existed in Hapkido for me way before there was a mention of a name Gracie, you know. Mm. So I, once from the Hapkido and judo thing, I had evolved into a style of kickboxing called Dutch kickboxing. And mm-hmm. that's something else that we can kind of get more in depth in another podcast in terms of the differences between Dutch kickboxing and other kickboxing styles. Basically what it is, is it's more hand oriented. So it's like boxing with kicks instead of kicks with a couple of hand, you know, bot throws in here and there. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. That's really all it is. It's more boxing oriented. And then you're throwing some, some kicks in between you're setting up your kicks with your hands. Um, and it's more combo-based versus Muay Thai is very uh, one-to-one type of you strike, I strike, you strike, I strike type of thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm not going to get into blabbing about that right now. So I was a competitive kickboxer. Then what probably a lot of people are not aware, for the longest time, you know, what mixed fight or MMA was not allowed, was not legal in a lot of states, including California. I don't think it became legal in California until I think maybe 2006, which is when I kind of finished competing and fighting. Um, So prior to that, we were just doing what they called pancreation tournaments, which was open-handed strikes. 
and you know you can have takedowns and grappling on the ground and stuff like that um so that's what i competed in well the funny thing was you know i the first ufc came out i think november 1993 i was probably one of the few people that was not impressed with that ufc one and quite quite a few after that and i'll tell you why so my parents had this thing called a black box. They didn't have much money, but they had this black box, which could <laughs> yeah, like, I remember those. <laughs> right, decode all the cable channels. So I was very fortunate to grow up with um, Japanese shoot wrestling and, uh, and that style, that hard style of mixed fight from Japan. So Shuto and, and the likes and Pancrase came a little bit later. But that Shuto style and that, you know, Antonio Inoki and everything that they were doing in Japan was far more technical and in my opinion far more inspiring than what I saw in the UFC and one of the reasons why is I could tell that the UFC was rigged not in the sense that the fights were fake none of those fights were fake but they didn't allow real competitors in there and what I mean by that is Don the Dragon Wilson was one of the hosts of the original UFCs. Don the Dragon Wilson, if you guys don't know who that is, please look him up and look up his fights. He was one of the most incredible American kickboxers we've ever had. Dude was a badass, just would shut everybody down, destroy people. He wasn't invited. And as a matter of fact, I, I very much remember him saying, well, if the UFC, if the fans want it and the UFC wants me, I'm happy to compete in it. But, of course, they would never want somebody of the likes of Don the Dragon Wilson because he would have just slayed people because he was a real mm. kickboxer and a tough guy. And also, if, when you look at what you had back then, early 90s, let's just say 1992, 1993. So 1993, that first UFC came out. So let's see who was alive and who could have competed had they really wanted a, a real fighting playing field. You could have had, uh, what's his name, Alexander Karelin from Russia, the human experiment. You could have had Dave Schultz, God rest his soul. Uh, his brother, Mark Schultz, who eventually, years later, did compete in the UFC. Put those three monster grapplers, and literally with zero, you know, submission training, and let's just throw Don the Dragon Wilson, the like one of the baddest strikers of the time, in there too. Let's see how Hoist Gracie would have done against them. I don't think Hoist Gracie would have gotten through the first round, to be honest with you. Gi or no. Uh -huh. That's mm. just my, my personal opinion because I know the skill set of these other guys. And I know yeah. there's going to be people who say, oh, you're full of shit. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay, that's fine. But you go back and you watch matches of the Schultz brothers. Watch Corellin. Watch Don the Dragon Wilson. And look at that with perspective. And then watch... <laughs> Hoist Gracie in UFC one, you, you know, in the early UFCs and tell me how he would have won. You know, mm -hmm. fortunately, they did rig it as they as they as, as they intended. Right. To make it a commercial for what, what we call Gracie Jiu Jitsu so that we have Jiu Jitsu like everywhere now. But it's become very watered down like McDojo's now. But it exists because it was a very good commercial. That's all it was. But to think that there was anything unique about the UFC or the jiu-jitsu compared to other things, no. There was already submission grappling tournaments going on uh, in Japan, other parts of the world for years. Mixed martial arts going around for years. 
but the way they made they made a spectacle and because of that spectacle it created an interest you know and there's a lot of controversy for many years uh because they originally be like oh let's see who lives or dies it's you know it's like they tried to do like a game of death vibe which didn't work and didn't go over well with the public um in terms of spreading spread fear and Mm -hmm. it was banned on cable for a long time so for my career i kind of got started with the whole jujitsu thing around 1994 i thought ah yeah it's not a really big deal let me go test it out myself you know and so I had gone to the RCJ Machado School in L.A. And, uh, you know, they kind of, like, set up, okay, here's the rules, this and that and the other thing. I didn't know. I was just kind of going in there thinking, okay, I'm just going to, like, fight somebody. But then they said, okay, don't do not do this kick. Don't do that. Or And then they just, guys just bum rushes me, grabs a hold of me, takes me to the ground with his sweaty, smelly key, and then chokes me. <laughs> like, okay. So I did that few times and I was like all right I got to learn I got to learn more grappling but I didn't like the a lot of the guys at this particular school I mean I trained with the Machados for years but initially it was just like it was a bit of a turnoff so I'd go there from time to time but a friend of mine who was a D1 wrestler at Cal State Fullerton one day takes me to this like almost like a dungeon area in Canoga Park in the San Fernando Valley and it was a bunch of Iranian re- retired Iranian wrestlers from the Iranian Olympic team from like the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. These wow. guys were big, burly, bald, and kicked the shit out of me. And <laughs> the worst part about it was, I mean, it was like four-hour training sessions. First 90 minutes was all conditioning. So if oh. anybody's ever read like the Gotch conditioning bar- Bible, you know, Carl Gotch's, if you've ever heard anything about it, it's basically that, you know, and plus more. And so it's just like, by the time it's time for actual wrestling, you're dead. <laughs> you're like exhausted. You're dead. It's, it's, it's no joke. It's intense. So I did that for a few years, was competing with the pancreation stuff. You know, fortunately, I did learn proper palm strikes and stuff like that. Had the opportunity to train with Boss Rutten and, you know, and train with other people in the Dutch style. So I, I didn't care that I could open my fist or not. I was going to hit them hard either way and I can actually hit a lot harder with my palm heel than I can with a closed fist Mm. so I learned how to throw and use that energy and it was fun so fast forward a few years later I take off to India for a couple years come back 1999 and all of a sudden there's this thing called the internet that was invented apparently by Al Gore (laughs) and all this other stuff and I was like wait what did I miss and uh, so I was like, well, I have to get serious about this because I want to I want to be doing this, you know, more aggressively. So from like 1999 on, I went full time. And when I say full time, there was a lot of times I was grappling twice a day, five, six days a week. Um, you know, people like complain now, like if they go to a school and they're being charged X amount of dollars. I, I mean, I was paying probably upwards of twelve to fourteen hundred dollars a month wow. grappling. Because just so people go like, well, where were you going? I was literally going everywhere. Mm. So my main mentor, my main professor for years and years and years, basically white to purple was Chris Howder, who we'll have on at some point in the podcast. And um that was an amazing experience because I got the shit kicked out of me every day in the garage. It was called the garage, still is. And uh, it was amazing. You know, I'd be sweating. I'd be just totally destroyed. I always tell people I didn't really 
kind of learned to execute submissions until I was a purple belt. Why? Mm-hmm. Because I had him beating me up, other Hegan Machado black belts coming through there beating the shit out of me. He was like, oh, look at this guy. We're going to just beat him up, you know? And it was tough. It was really, really tough. But I wouldn't change that experience for anything in the world because it was so valuable in terms of me learning, learning durability and endurance and uh, just having the proper mindset of just don't give up no matter how bad your position is. He would say to me, Chris would say to me all the time, one of the things he would say, it, it, would, it would crack me up because he would always talk to me and make jokes and tell stories while he was beating me up. He'd always yell at me, remember sweating and this is blood and everything. And he'd be like, Brian, you're not going to die. Keep going. <laughs> you're not going to die. Because you're in this panic position, right? And, you know, we have this yeah. saying at, at our school, we have certain positions we call the panic position. So when you're in a, a panic position and somebody's on top of you or somebody's just absolutely mauling you, you have to remind yourself, I'm not going to die. This sucks. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's traumatic, but you're not going to die. And if you yeah, really put powerful. yourself in that mindset, I'm not going to die. I'm going to survive this. If you have the mindset of survival, you will succeed. That's interesting because I remember, God, maybe it was my third or fourth week. Um, and then we're going through drills with you. I was going through drills with you and uh, you put me in a, you know, what we, yeah, what we call the panic positions where it's basically you're, you're putting pressure on me. You had the top position. I'm on the back. I'm on my back. I'm on the ground. And I'm like, I have no idea what to do. I have. And I, all of a sudden I can't breathe, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. And it was funny because it was like, I, I remember, I remember tapping or wanting to tap and you're like, focus, focus, just get, you know, you're going to be fine. Focus. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I remember when I got out of it and I'm just like, I, there was, there was this journey that I kind of went, this micro journey I went through of like, I didn't die. That sucked. I, I didn't know what to do. And it opened my mind up to saying, because I didn't know what to do, because everything that I had learned prior in uh, in jujitsu, and really, really, I would I would almost say everything in martial arts, like I had no idea what to do. I, I was stuck. My my the mental side of it was that I couldn't think through anything. I couldn't, you know. I was. I remember you put me in this position, basically, like. I was, all I could do was just roll around underneath you, hoping and just trying to avoid everything. <laughs> but this constant, it's this pressure chamber of like, okay, well, I'm now starting to get short of breath. I can't, you know, I'm trying to control my breathing, but I can't control it because now I'm mentally in panic mode. My body then goes into panic mode. And all I'm doing is survive, survive, survive in the sense of like, I, as long as I don't, you know, but it's weird because it's like, I know it's a training session and we're just in class. And if anything, through that, you're really more or less showing me like, you have to be careful. What This is why we do what we do, right? In the, in the sense of our curriculum. And I don't, and I'm not, we're, we're not trying to push the school on the podcast right now. <laughs> we'll get to that later. But it's more or less that it was a learning environment for me of, yeah, you know, at the end of it, when you come out, you, you do have to start to realize, I think if the student doesn't get to the point where they realize, if they if they forget that they're in a class setting and that to know you're not going to die, you're going to be okay, right? It's almost that it does take, it does take a huge toll on the performance because 
I just remember, again, in that time, the only thing I could eventually get down to was turtling. That's, that's, that was my automatic defense of like, okay, I don't want to get into an armbar. I don't want to be submitted. I don't want to get choked out. I don't want to get blacked out from being choked out. So the only thing I can do then is protect myself. And so what do I do? The only thing that I could remember and know what to do was turtle. And I'm, I think I'm amazing at that because <laughs> I'm a big guy. I can turn and then I'll just like tuck in and not move. But then obviously and from what you teach, it's like, oh, you want a turtle? Okay. I'll yeah. show you what we can do there. <laughs> But it, it, it really, that was a huge learning experience for me in the sense of like, okay, and then even to now, the progression of, I think for, again, through my development, um, since I've been training under you and with, with everybody else at the school is that, you know, it went from that panic, it went from panic positions and continuous panic positions where, you know, whether it's you or anybody else who puts me into that position where I had to, I naturally, in a sense, had to learn like, okay, the you know, I may not be, I'm not an expert at it yet, but it's like, I get into a panic position. I've gotten into there. I understand what that feels like. So then the next step in my progression was, okay, well then, you know, get out and get up. Right. And so it's not even a matter of whether or not the, the technique that we're trying to, you know, whether it's an escape from mount, a mount escape or anything of that sort, it's like, yeah, I try it. And let's say it's not working. And then because it's not working, in a sense, I've now delayed my panic position mm. and my body and mind going into a panic state because now I understand there is a technique. I try the technique. The technique doesn't work. So then all of a sudden, again, mind and body panic kick in again. Mm. And now it's like, okay, just get out because I've now accepted that, hey, I understand I'm not going to die. Yeah. I'm not going to die. Just <laughs> get get out. Get out of that position, whatever it is. Att I attempted the technique. Let's say it failed in that moment because I did something wrong or, again, whatever principle I missed. But it, it's just interesting, that progression. And now it's like, okay, I'm almost – I think I'm at the point in my development like, okay, I'm no longer in panic position because I'm just, you know, flailing around the floor. And then, two, now that I'm trying a technique and if it fails, it's okay. And now I've delayed my panic situation even further to the point where of okay, if that didn't work, what do I need to do to get to work? Breaking down the techniques, breaking down the system one step at a time in order to, again, in a sense, reattempt the position, to reattempt the technique to get out of, to escape. And then if that doesn't work, then yeah, I think at this point, that's when my panic kicks in again. But it's this kind of fight to survive thing where it's just like, okay, get out, get up. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah I agree. And, you know, to your point, I think it's it's one thing we should, I guess, point out. So I I definitely am not like some kind of I don't even know what a BJJ purist would be these days. We <laughs> I definitely teach a hybrid grappling system in the sense that I think I, I I definitely my foundation is what I would consider more catch wrestling based. I trained a significant amount of time with Billy Robinson. You know I've had to up amazing opportunities to train under Eric Paulson, Josh Barnett, Fujiwara, uh, Mike Martell. So guys that are like really top of the line catch wrestlers. And that's, I consider myself more a catch wrestler than anything else. That's the philosophy I teach at school. Yes, I'm a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but that's more like even with the way we call our school PCI jiu-jitsu, it's not because I'm necessarily, quote, teaching jiu-jitsu the way you would go to like a gracie school or something it's just that's the name that people know 
right? People know what jujitsu is. So it's like it, I use that term as like it's, you know, ground fighting. It's ground submission grappling. But we do stuff that's very unique because it's primarily catch-based. We have stand-up in every class. There's no such thing as rolling from your knees. Josh Barnett years ago repeatedly would say, there's no such thing as a fight that starts from the knees, so why are you starting to roll from the knees? And it's true. You should be starting standing at all times. I, used, I, I make this comment on Instagram a lot. when I show like little clips or pictures of us going from the standing position, I put start standing or stay home. And I've been, I wouldn't say flagged, but I've been uh, warned by Instagram a, a couple of times about being nice and not saying things to hurt feelings. I'm like, <laughs> how is start standing or stay home like offensive? But I guess some schools that would be very offensive. Like, hey, no, we like to play patty cake. Okay, go play patty cake. We're playing kill. Big difference, right? So, you know, I, and I guess we're, we'll get into this topic some other time, but I, I personally believe that gi and no gi are equally important. Um, and I believe the techniques are interchangeable. And and I'm, when I refer to gi, I'm not talking about this capoeira-style synchronized holding and hugging agreed to positions that you see now in sport BJJ. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that none of us live in a nudist colony. So guess what? Everybody you see around you on a daily basis wears clothes. If you do not know how to control somebody with their clothes on, you're going to have a hard time with them. A very hard time. Yeah. So, um, plus, when you're training in a gi, everybody says the same thing. They go, oh, my God, it's so much harder because you can't slip out of stuff. Defensively, it's way more difficult to get out of things while you're wearing a gi. So, for defense, I think gi, wearing a gi is very important. Offense, you have to learn no gi because you have to learn how to control somebody without handles and how to pin, right? And really, the only... The only way you learn to do that is by learning catch wrestling, in my opinion. Which, when you see today, no gi submission grappling, it's catch wrestling without a pin. It's just no pin catch wrestling because they're not mm. wearing a gi. But I teach it where, like, I, I teach gi and no gi catch wrestling. It doesn't matter to me. We don't have to use the handle, but we have judo in every class, right? Every gi class, were you doing judo? Because um, I have that background. Uh, and then no gi class, we have our... I, I, I like Greco takedowns and throws better than I do um, freestyle or folk style throws. That's me personally. So I think that there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, that's what I like to use and teach uh, in our no-gi, or I should say our kind of like the <laughs> catch wrestling style uh, yeah, no kimono, no-gi classes. Um, and uh, then, you know, how do we do stuff from the ground? We do We do it differently. You know, we're not there to lay on our backs and just open our legs you know we follow because like i said chris howder was my mentor is my mentor and so the rules he beat into my head right for years and years and years be number one be the person on top number two win on top stay on top number three have a guard shall not pass number four do not always remember rule number one and do not be seduced by the lazy and rewarding nature of the guard which has been further um exploited by these stupid BJJ sport BJJ rules that are so Tell bad. That's how you really feel. <laughs> you know? Oh God, I'm being nice. Trust me, I can lay into all these fools. Oh, and by the way, just in case anybody hasn't figured this out yet, yeah, 
if you are not aware of this, the IBJJF is not any type of organization or foundation. They are not a regulator for jiu-jitsu. They are a professional tournament company that's owned and operated by Gracie Baja. Who w- the founder of that is Carlinos, Carlos Gracie Jr. Mm-hmm. And he makes millions upon millions of dollars every year trying to bully, police, and regulate how people learn and who can be what belt and, and win. The funny thing is, mm-hmm. all you have to do is look back and go, guess what? His dad gave himself his own black belt. There's no evidence of Carlos Gracie Sr. ever taking a single lesson with Maeda. None. Ask Robert Drysdale. Read his book. Right? There's no evidence anywhere. Now, they may have, he may have trained, him and some of the brothers may have trained with a student of Maeda, but there really is no hard evidence that any of the Gracie brothers, original Gracie brothers, trained with Maeda. Helio did not invent jujitsu. Helio did not modify anything. What they did do, you know, I'll just get into this really quickly because I think this is really funny, is if people don't know the stories, what was happening when they were trying to say that we have this superior system because they gave themselves their belts or whatever, um, they were trying initially trying to do these challenge matches. They weren't winning all these matches. When guys were coming from Japan, they were getting spanked. Read about the uh, story of the old catch wrestler Rufino Dos Santos in terms of how he beat the Gracies and then they went out with the five of them with lead pipes and beat him to where he couldn't compete anymore and then they went to jail. Ganged up on him, beat him because they were so humiliated by him. You know, why do they call the double wrist locker Kimura? Because a guy named Kimura comes from Japan and beats the shit out of Helio Gracie. So what did they do? What did the Gracies do to make it look like they have their style and they're so superior? They took away the pin. They devalued the throw. They devalued takedowns, throws, and pins. And now, mm. if you look at it, and we'll get into this in another podcast, if you think about it, from the major, major grappling styles, and what I mean by that is wrestling, jiu-jitsu, judo, sambo, okay? And you can even throw in other styles as well, but it's all kind of like catch wrestling also. Um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the only major grappling style that does not reward a pin. And there's people that will say, oh, well, we don't reward the pin because then there's no point for a submission. No, that's not true. You tell me that in any MMA fight, learning to pin somebody is a bad thing. <laughs> Again, it's just like this really bad mentality. It's, it comes from people that have never fought before. I did pancreation. I did MMA. I did all that stuff. And let me tell you something. If somebody had me on the floor, I wanted to get the hell up. <laughs> I didn't want to sit yeah, there yeah, and go, yeah, let me yeah. try an umoplata. Dude, you don't umoplata people when they're slippery. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll have some jackass listening that's going, I could am a plot to somebody who's slippery. Okay, good for you. Good for you. Let's let's try this and let me hit you and let's see how well you do. Okay. And the no, minute I feel like you, we're gonna have a bunch of challengers lining up at PCI. You, look, I don't care. The minute you add strikes and pins, okay. Strikes, pins. Throw look at Buchecha himself said. When he transitioned to, you know, he's fighting in one championship now. And if you don't know who Buchecha is, shame on you. You should know. One of the winningest Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys of all time. Number of uh, titles. He said he had to throw out 85% of his Brazilian jiu-jitsu in order to fight in MMA. Because it didn't work. 
So if Buchecha is saying and going on record admitting 85% of my jiu-jitsu did not work for MMA, what in God's name are you doing? If you're doing it just for fun, cool. If you're doing it because you like, you know, it's like a capoeira style thing, and you're agreeing to the positions, and you want to do this synchronized grappling thing, or I hear people call it flow roll, guess what? You're kind of missing the point of submission grappling. Submission grappling is supposed to hurt. It's a form of fighting. It's a martial art. When I touch you, I'm going to hurt you. We're playing kill. It's a gentleman's agreement that we're not killing each other. We respect the tap, right? That's why there's a tap. So that we let go. But the reality is, is you could seriously maim somebody and you could kill somebody with what we're doing. Doesn't matter what the style is, right? BJJ, sport BJJ, whatever. Catch, whatever. Doesn't matter. We're playing kill. It's just the Mm -hmm. degree of kill you want to play. Some people want to patty cake it and do more like that capoeira style. We're like, hey, look how cool this is. And they're like doing this interpretive dance around each other and... I'm like, fuck that. Shin ride them, pin them, break their ankle, and then go from there. <laughs> oh, that wasn't nice. That's not cool. That was dirty. Okay, great. You know, I'd love, I'd love, for, you to, I'd love for you to, somebody to walk into a room to Josh Barnett. If you've never met him, meet him. Listen to everything that man says because he is, his, his knowledge and his abilities are incredible. Okay. I've had the opportunity to learn from him on several occasions over the years, several occasions. And listen, I absorb everything that guy says. Um, and I'm older than him. I don't care. It's just like, that's how <laughs> the dude's so good. He's so he's he, because here's the thing. He understands concepts. Okay. And one of the big, and we'll get, we're going to get into this in another podcast, man. We should be writing down how many topics we're going to have. There's a difference between con- learning concepts and learning moves. I can teach somebody concepts if I can get them to understand the concept. I don't care what the move is. The move becomes irrelevant. Understand the concept and I can get somebody to go from, let's just pretend white to blue, blue to purple, purple, brown, brown to black, whatever the belt is. Or I can just, let's just say, I can have them advance very quickly. Because if you understand conceptually what you're doing, then at some point your body will catch up. Yeah. Mechanics are always more important than attributes. And having mm-hmm. an encyclopedia of moves is unnecessary. Half the time I'm showing stuff, I'm making up shit on the fly because I'm grounded in the concepts. I understand. I, I learned from Billy Robinson. I directly, for years, I learned from, you know, Hegan Machado. I learned from my man, Chris Howder. I learned from Marcelo Zotto. Concepts. Mm-hmm. Concepts. If you understand the concepts, the moves will come to you. That's when you get creative. How you finish is, you know, that's kind of like your artistic signature. Yeah. But you have to understand, you have to get the concepts down, which most people don't have. I've gone to seminars where these guys, oh, this guy was a champion and this guy was a champion in this. I couldn't understand a damn thing they were talking about. 17 steps later, I still don't know what the move is. (laughs) Right? I'm like, what the hell are we doing? I'm like, what do you want? What's the end goal here? I'm going to grab this sleeve, do this, sit my butt in the air. I'm like, I can't do that. That's the other thing we do differently at PCI, right? This is like, because we focus on mechanics over attributes, right? We do. I, I organize things in such a way where it can be applicable to. It doesn't matter if it's a small girl or a big man. Everybody can do it, mm-hmm. right? And everybody can yeah. do it effectively. 
Well, I think that's a good spot for us to plug in our sponsor for the show, PCI Jiu-Jitsu of Mission Viejo, California, <laughs> headed by Coach Brian. Uh, yeah, if you guys are ever interested in wanting to learn, again, catch wrestling, um, yeah, for as much as uh, Coach Brian talks about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the way that he does, there are <laughs> there are plenty of elements, and there's a whole, I, I'll say this, uh, um, if I were to bring, you know, bring balance to the force and the yin-yang thing between you and I, it's like, yeah, you know, there is, a, there is a lot of value and a lot of appreciation for, again, the fundamentals, I think, again, like to your saying, the concepts of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu in general. Um, and then obviously that's blended in with uh, a lot of heavy focus on catch wrestling. Um, and so I think uh, it's a fantastic place to learn. We got a great group of people who are super passionate about everything that we're doing. Um, and I'll say it's not for everyone. PCI Jiu-Jitsu is definitely not for everyone. It is it is highly, um, I think I wouldn't even say that, yeah, it's selective in the sense of who, who we allow to train with us. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that. I don't mean to say that as like, oh, you know, we're the super private club. Rather, it's like there, it, it really, the way we say, it, what do we say? You know, you 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 come for the pain and you, you leave with a smile. smile. <laughs> yeah, you have to be and willing it, it's to because, make a sacrifice. Yeah, and I think because um, you know the joke that I always say with you is that the rite of passage at PCI Jiu Jitsu is your first shin ride, and then we'll see what happens <laughs> to you after that. If if that is considered too brutal for you, and that it, that it's offensive, just as much as offensive as this podcast <laughs> might be to some people, name, but um, that that that's that's kind of the way that it is. It's like you know, I remember getting my first shin ride. It's not it's the pain I've never felt like ever in my entire life and you know i've, I've had again being in in the jiu-jitsu world that i was in yeah there was a lot of you know there was a lot of pain but there was nothing like what i've experienced through through what you teach and through what what the guys at, and the gals at in our club per se were, were putting me through um all again all with the smile all with the, with the concept to learn and so if you guys are ever interested uh, reach out to us pcijujitsu.com uh, we're here in Mission Viejo, California, South Orange County, and we'd love to have you. Um, we've got seminars coming up. Uh, we just had one with with the Chris Master Chris Howder, as I, I would know. consider him. Um, and I know you have a uh, you have an amazing story around uh, your experience with Chris Howder, and um, we'll get to that probably in a little bit here. But uh, yeah, we got and then we have a catch wrestling seminar coming up um with snake pit usa yeah. right we are affiliates so. of uh, snake pit usa so we've got uh our head coach for our affiliation joel bain the master of pain joel bain <laughs> i love calling him that dude is so brutal it's not even funny i see it makes it hurt so bad you have to laugh that's when you know it's good pain that's when you know it's getting done right <laughs> Because he always says, if it's not hurting, you're not doing it right. Yeah. And he, we got the saying, always do damage, right? So he is the master of pain, Joe Bain. That's going to be July 15th, 2023, Saturday. I want to say it's from 1130 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. It's only $60 for a four-hour seminar. So if you choose to miss this, you are an idiot. <laughs> it's a no-gi seminar, okay? So I don't want any complaints from anybody. Oh, I don't want to wear a gi. A gi's so boring. It hurts. Nah, 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 nah. This is a no-gi seminar geared for everybody at every level. It's four hours, $60. If you miss out on this, again, you're an idiot. If your coaches tell you not to go, you're probably in a cult. 
I always tell my students, and you know this, look, hey, go train. <laughs> go anywhere you want. If there's an open mat, if there's a class you want to check out, if there's a seminar, go. My only request is if you learn something cool, bring it back and teach it to the rest of us, including me, so we can break it down and see is it effective, is it not effective, how cool is it, can we add it into our repertoire. So I'm very open-minded. I yeah. highly encourage and believe in cross-training, but I also know that I'm in the minority in this. Most of these guys that are out there that have these schools, they like their little kingdom. They like being the mm. little king in their in their gym, right? And the thought of you know, their students going to another affiliation for a seminar or going somewhere else to roll. It's just like, they get really nervous about that. I'm like, I love it because I know yeah. how, I know, I know my, the quality of my own instruction. I'm so confident in what I teach that I love when my students go somewhere else because, oh, damn coach, that shit was good. You know, nobody could submit yeah. me. This happened, that happened, or I got to shin ride this person. Oh, I had to go easy on these people. You know, I love when, a you know, you know, I have a 130-pound little female black, white belt that goes and can't get in brown belts can't submit her at other schools. Love that. Do I expect her no. to submit them? No. But I love that she's so good defensively, and her positioning is so good that no matter what they try and do to her, she gets up, goes, you can't take her down. Her takedowns are sick. You know, she keeps winning. She, she medals like she's like, I don't. Know, I think she's done five or six tournaments this year. She's medaled at every tournament, you know. So she's on a tear. Yeah. And that's just one example, you know. Uh, so we got, you know, a, a guy that's a black belt under me. He goes to, uh, you know, he goes does like these Sunday open mats. He's like, hey, and on like every on Mondays, he's like, hey, I got to, I got to tell you all what worked this weekend, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> so you know what worked really well? You know how we put the hand here behind the head and we did this? He's like, man, that just, I just stopped everybody with that i love hearing that it makes me happy it doesn't make me nervous like oh my yeah. god they're gonna go to that other school no it's like fine go and you know look at the end of the day if somebody doesn't want to train with me anymore god bless you i don't care i that means i was able to help you to the degree that i was and for whatever reason we didn't connect on a level that made you want to stay and like you said before ed like our training style is not for everybody it's tough. You're going to sweat. I had a guy one time come or he was like a wrestler, a high school wrestler, thought he was, you know, a whole tough guy and everything. He puked five times during one class, barely made it through one class, never came back again. It was too intense for him. We train at a different level. We train at a different pace, you know, yeah. and uh, I'm not I'm not putting anybody's school down. Everybody has a different way of doing things. You know, and like I said, our way is definitely not the only way, and it's definitely not for everybody. It's going to be yeah. for a select few that are hungry enough and have a, you know, a big enough heart and grit to endure pain like you will not feel anywhere else and learn how to transcend that fear, right? And just continue to develop on that journey of self-discovery. That's what I think we do differently. We have this unique agreement among all of us in the schools that we are supporting each other in our journey of self-discovery through the martial arts medium, yeah, which is submission. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think uh, to start looking at wrapping up the, uh, our first episode here again, I mean, for as much as again, with all the stuff that you, you know, we've been talking about with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and just kind of the way that it's really unfolded from, from what it was and to today. And I mean, I, 
I, you know, I personally think that, you know, when I first came to the school, it's like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, when am I going to get my next belt? You know, when am I going to get my blue belt? When am I going to get my purple belt? When am I going to get brown? When am I going to get black? How long is it going to take me? You know? And because I, I you know, I, I'll be honest, I was very much, uh, in, in, in the school of thought that I want to see progression. I want to feel progression, you know? And I know that. And then when you told me, it's like, Oh, it's like a stripe, maybe every six months. And I was like, okay, well, that's five stripes for this. And start calculating everything. I'm like, God, I might not be alive by the time <laughs> you might not be alive by the time we get my black belt. <laughs> but, but I think there's a lot of merit to that. I think there's a lot of uh, power to that. And that kind of actually relates to what I'd like to kind of close the episode with is, again, I, it's for again with all the stuff that you've been talking about and the way or the way that you've been talking about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I know that you do have a huge respect and a lot of, of foundation for, it, especially with your time with Chris Howder. And so I'd love to, if you could share that story that you've told me on, on multiple occasions, because it's, it, I think it's a very powerful story of, you know, when you got your belt um, and how that really, I think it really plays into your foundation as who you are as a coach and who you are. And, and what I mean as a coach is, you know, as a coach to us, to the, to your students, uh, to all those who teach, um, I, I think it's a, it's a very powerful testament to who you are and to why we're actually doing what we do yeah so i was probably he held me a long time so i think it probably took me about 10 years maybe a little more to get my purple belt to go from white to purple okay Mm. now you'll have people say oh i got my black belt in seven years i got my black belt dude it took me years and years and years and years and years to go from white to black now, screw white to black. Well, let's say white to purple. And people always say, well, what was your most rewarding belt? A lot of people are like, well, I got my black belt. Is it? No, 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 no. Black belt to me was just like, yeah, that's going to happen because of the amount of suffering I had going from white to purple. For me, purple belt was my, my uh, most rewarding belt because Chris used to say to me, if you want it, you got to take it from me. Like he always felt like I was underperforming for what my potential was. And I could never understand. And he was just like, you just got to be meaner. And I'll never forget the day when it happened. He was just like, we were now for a little context. So you guys can understand. I would spend a lot of time, not just in group classes with Chris, but privates. So uh, the amount of like literally hours I spent on the mat with this guy, not just grappling, but talking. And this man is a wealth of information. So if you ever have the opportunity to pick his brain, sign up for his his um, videos. He has a membership. If you go to the combatbaseclub.com, I highly encourage anybody and everybody to do it because he's worth it. He's worth the time to learn and listen. Okay. So I'll never forget. It, it had to have been a Saturday. It could have, I think it was a Saturday morning where... We're grappling, and mind you, when we're doing these sessions together, we're rolling for like an hour to an hour and a half straight. Sometimes talking, but not me talking. It's him talking while he's kicking the shit out of me. <laughs> and I just never forget the day where I was like, okay, I, I am, today I'm coming in to kill him. Because I was so frustrated. At this point, I'm like so frustrated. I was blue belt for over five years. And we're not talking about a blue belt that would train once a week. We're talking about a blue belt that was training six days a week twice a day okay mm-hmm. and people are like how's this guy a blue belt how's this guy a blue belt so you know because it's like i could i could stalemate with black belts 
but I wasn't mean enough. And that, you know, there was a lot of stuff I had to process through from, you know, my childhood, how I was growing up and stuff where that was preventing me from in unleashing the inner demon, right, mm-hmm. for grappling. But we were going, going, going. I had him pinned up against the wall. My left arm is overhooked on his right arm, right? My head's in the pocket between the chin and his shoulder. And I'm grinding him. I'm ready to like, I'm like, I'm just going to grab this guy's leg, throw him to the ground, and heel hook him. Like, I was just ready. I had, I was just, I had a plan. <laughs> I, I'm like going, I'm going to kill him today. I'm going to, he's not, he's walk going to the hospital. That's how badly I was just like, I, it, I was just that fever of intensity. And so I have him pinned up against the wall. And then as he's talking, we're both sweating and there's, you know, blood coming out of my nose. And he's just like, all right, Brian, you're a purple belt now. (laughs) 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 And then all of a sudden, Coach Brian Roig was a purple belt. Uh, So that's what happened. And I was just like, you want to talk about a sense of relief, euphoria, joy, and kicking it into like a sixth gear? Oh, I didn't just drop to the floor. I just took him and I ran him over. I'm like, really? Good. I'm a purple belt now? Well, now I'm going to show you, you son of a bitch. And I just <laughs> picked him up and threw him on the ground. I'm like getting ready to yoke him. He's like, all right, I'm going to tap. He's like, yeah, my knee's a, my knee's a little sore. I know what you're doing. I know it's going to be bad. I don't want to get it wrecked any further. Don't worry, you're a purple belt. I'm like, good. Where is it? Give it to me. <laughs> then he gave it to me like a week or two later or something in front of like the group class, right? Yeah. And it was like this really shitty purple, like the belt, it was like a light purple, almost like a lavender pink. Uh-huh. It didn't have the black bar on it to put the stripes on. This was like, it was like almost made out of like foam or something. It was like really weird. <laughs> this is very, and I think I still have it, to be honest with you. I should bring it to class one day. <laughs> Uh, one day I'll just bring it to him. I go, what the hell is this? Why did you give me this shit thing? But anyways, nevertheless, the, I, I don't regret the grind I put in from white to purple. Mm. And any time, and I think a lot of it also was the fact that I'd be jumping around from school to school and trying to learn all these new tricks and take it to him. And then he'd be like, nope, I'm going to beat it out of you. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. You're, you're going the wrong direction. Every time I go in the wrong direction, I get punished more. But for me, yeah, that... That the day he told me, okay, Brian, you're a purple belt, when I had him pinned against the wall, that was my greatest grappling achievement. That was like the acknowledgement from my, you know, my big brother, my mentor, you know, like my grappling dad, so to speak, or one of my grappling dads, where it was just like an acknowledgement of a real existence. Because to me, I feel like if you get to purple, you will get to black. It's just a matter mm. of it's a matter of time. Because what people don't realize, especially with BJJ, the retention rate's very low. Ninety percent of the people drop out from white to blue. So you only have ten percent that ever make it to blue. And then I think it's like another ten mm. percent that go from blue to purple. But then once you go from hit purple, it's a very much higher percentage, like three times higher percentage that you're going to get to brown than to black. So that to me is just like, that's when you start learning people's names. When they're actually, okay, now now there's somebody. When they're a purple belt, that means you're giving, you can stalemate with the black belt. You're giving, you know, higher belts a hard time. You're not beating them necessarily, but you're giving them a hard time. You're making them work. 
right? And uh, you can hold your own. And uh, that to me was that I could have cried on, you know. By the time I got my black belt, I was like, yeah, well, this was. I should have had my black belt 10 years prior. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, and? Yeah, because, you know, I started I, I started teaching at Purple Belt, actually. Because mm. I, I had all the Chris Howderisms in me. So when I was at other places, people didn't have access to Chris Howder, right? Because he was an underground thing. So I'd be going places or traveling, and then I moved to Arizona for a few years. People would want to do privates from me because they wanted to learn the Chris Howder combat pace method mm. you know so that which is really that it's like chris howder and hegan machado to me are synonymous right so it's that hegan style pressure passing pressure pins and stuff like that to me that hegan machado chris howder style bjj is one side of the coin and catch wrestling is the other side of the coin it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know two faces of the exact same coin that's how i look at it I can't say that for other styles of BJJ, but definitely that Hegan Machado, Chris Howder style is the most complimentary to catch wrestling. And they're mm. virtually identical, virtually Makes identical. Sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, we just want to thank everybody who tuned in on our first episode. Uh, if you haven't noticed already, it's very raw. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it's going to get a lot worse. Very raw. Yeah. So, We'll end, uh, we'll end the show today with, uh, you know, just a big announcement. No offense. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, we're, we're really excited to have launched this podcast. Uh, Coach Brian and I are excited to share this journey with you again. Really, to kind of understand what Level Up Grappling Podcast is meant to be is it's really to help us as, um, you know, all of us as grapplers to, to really, truly level up our grappling. Not just, you know, for as much as we physically all train on the mat. There's a, there's a spiritual side, there's a, there's a mental side to it. So, you know, mind, body, spirit as the tri- the trinity of, of every fighter. And how do we, how do we bring that up? How do we, how do we challenge the things that we're learning uh, to understand whether or not they're effective, whether they're the right things to do or the wrong things to do? You know, every single fighter is different. Every single grappler is different. Um, everybody, you know, everybody's got their thing. We've got ours. And uh, we would just encourage you and invite you to be on this journey with us. And I uh, would love to hear from you guys. And again, if you guys are interested, PCI Jiu-Jitsu in Mission Viejo, California, uh, you can check out PCIJiu-Jitsu.com. You can also check out our Instagram. Uh, Coach Brian always puts up a lot of stuff that is offensive according to Instagram if they're saying that, you know, stand up or stay home is, is offensive. Uh, but, you know, that's for another day, I guess. Yeah. Oh, and can, can I just plug your business really quick? So for you guys that don't know, because you don't, Ed is a master marketer and businessman. So head over to what is it? Mallard Creative LLC.com. Yeah, Mallard Creative LLC. Yeah, I appreciate and, that. And uh, <laughs> that's really important because as, as much as this is hosted by PCI Jiu Jitsu, it's equally hosted by Mallard Creative LLC. And I'll tell you, if you want things done right and you want a mind for somebody that can take your business to the next level and a guy who's a professor at a university that can help you with this, this is the dude you need to talk to. And I'm not just saying this because he, he's my student. <laughs> he's helped me in the conversations we have offline and stuff like that. Dude blows my mind every time. So uh, I appreciate that. Please, I'm very humble. That, that's, it's a co-sponsorship there. And it, you, you must check out his website if, if you have any type of business or anything like that and need to level up the rest of your business world. Go to him, please. 
Fantastic. Well, Coach Brandon, we'll catch you on the uh, I'll catch you on the mat soon enough. Um, other than that, for everybody else, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so very much for your time, and thanks so much for listening to Level Up Grappling Podcast. This Thank is you. I'm we're your host, Coach Brian and Ed. Yeah. <laughs>